2: A podcast dedicated to exploring the fundamental topics and key drivers for change within our global society today. This series is brought to you by Peter Bell, founder of Purpose Made, a strategic consultancy specializing in post pandemic change and organizational transformation. Don't forget to click subscribe to hear all the latest news and views on our changed global society.
1: We certainly were ahead of the time, ahead of our time in terms of talking about single use plastics, providing alternative, reusable products, all those things. We did feel ahead of our time and now the world's sort of caught up with us and it really is at the at the centre of, of the debates that everybody's having around how we deal with the challenges that the world has, has got.
2: Original Conversations. Purpose made for you. So sit back, relax, and we do hope you enjoy.
3: Guy Shansky went from being an accountant in training at KPMG to traveling the world with his wife, Jo, where chance meeting in India would result in the pair returning to the UK in the early 90s to co-found the multi-million pound business Bambino Mio we see today. But Bambino Mio's journey is much more than the look of a chance meeting. It's a story of courage and of determination and a mission to make sure that every parent and child have access to stylish and affordable reusable baby products within global markets demanding meaning above margin. It's also the story of how activating a brand's purpose can inspire conscious consumer-driven movements which lead to the transformation and growth of a company both inside and out. By activating their brand's purpose, Bambino Mio haven't just witnessed rapid growth, They've also won the Queen's Award for International Trade, an MB for Guy, and the Best in Brand Purpose at the recent Drum Awards. Chatting to Guy was awesome, and what is true from our conversation is the future of business and brand hinges upon understanding purpose as something far greater than a do-gooder exercise. Activating brand purpose is much more meaningful to what a company stands for and believes in, and it's up to leaders to activate their brand purpose into narratives that can inspire consumer-driven movements like Bambino Mio. So without further ado, please sit back, relax, and we do hope you enjoy. Hi, Guy. How are you? Good. Thank you. Yeah, I think we'll start by one of the things I noticed when I read about your amazing story is how self-aware you've become and kind of looking back from the start of your life, what were the things that were formative to you that you noticed with the benefit of hindsight? I think, I think that's, that's, that's a really interesting question because I sort of grew up and and
1: there's this bits in my in my, in my youth and, and very much in my younger day with sort of entrepreneurial things that I did as a child that uh, that, that I remember doing organising charity jumble sales and fruit and vegetables and various things. When I left school, I organised productions at the Edinburgh Festival for a couple of years as well. So from a production point of view, not from an acting point of view. So it was always I'd always got that 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 in me. I did a, I mean I did a traditional business studies degree, and it's interesting because in the eighties. Going through it, looking back, the 1980s business was all about why are businesses run. Well, they're run to make profit and run to make return for their shareholders. And I think I'd always talked about wanting to run my own business, and I'd always wanted a business which I could. I mean, in those days, I talked about sort of having something I could believe in and have a passion for. I think it's it's only re- recently, even having having run the reusable unhappy companies that we have over the last 30 years. But it's only recently in the last two to three years that I realized that actually we were a purpose-driven business before people became focused on that, before people talked about it. In terms of awareness, we probably came late late to being aware of that. But actually, you look back and you think, I mean, people thought we were mad trying to sell reusable nappies in the mid-90s anyway, because... Um, everybody was using disposables. And I remember people saying to me, well, isn't that, that's the future. Everybody will always use disposables, will not they? And that's, 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 that's what we are as a, a society. But I think it's probably more than that in terms of what we were trying to do, not consciously of actually running a business that was a purpose, which was all, all about getting the message across and ultimately getting more people to use reusable appers. But I think in terms of that, looking back, those were the things that I suppose at the time we didn't realise what we were doing. But actually, in the last few years, as we have realized that and been able to focus on it and communicate it, understanding the power of that to people who are interested in using our products and, and, and engaging with our brand.
3: Yeah, exactly. Because Bambino Mio has been on quite a journey. And I guess like the interesting part of it is the story that led to the beginning of Bambino Mio. So um, in, I know it started back in 1992, but you went on your own kind of journey of discovery pre-1992 before then that led you to um, a chance meeting in India as well. So can you kind of walk through what you were doing pre-setting up with the firm and kind of what happened on this on this particular journey? Yeah,
1: so I, as I, said, I did a business studies degree. I'd always wanted to run my own business and I sort of drifted into accountancy when I finished my degree because I couldn't think of that business idea and I had a burning desire to, to do that. I'd I'd done some financial stuff before, and that seemed to be the natural thing, and I felt I wouldn't be wasting my time doing that because it would give grounding. I'd actually my my father was an accountant, my grandfather had been an accountant, so it seemed sort of not totally alien to me to to start doing that. But uh, it became apparent very, very quickly that I was probably the worst accountancy trainee KPMG had ever had, and um, it lasted about a year and a half. And um, my wife Jo, and we weren't married at that point, was working for Marks and Spencer. She was made redundant accountancy clearly wasn't for me and so we decided to travel with the idea that we didn't have any commitments we didn't have children we weren't married then uh we'd saved a bit of money and so we did we decided to, to travel through asia and and australia and and, and, as, and neither of us had been out of europe before so it was a big adventure from that point of view but but i suppose deep down what what i was hoping or what we we're both hoping is that we could come up with some idea of, of what we did want to do and, and a business idea and as you say very early on in those travels we started in India. And literally within the first few weeks, we were at, uh, we were at the Taj Mahal in India one evening. It was, it was a full moon. There were lots of people there. And we just got talking to, to an American from New York who started talking to us about diaper laundry services. They'd been very big in the in the US in the, in the, in the 80s, in the 1980s. Companies that would, that would provide freshly laundered reusable nappies, prefold, not the old-fashioned terry nappies, and um, come around every week and collect the dirties and deliver clean ones and, and act as laundry service. And it, and it did spur an idea for us. And we started thinking about it. And a few weeks later, we were in Nepal and started talking to some Canadians. And for some reason, the nappy issue came up again. And they talked about a similar experience in Montreal. When we traveled, we got to, we got to Australia uh, in early 1992. And that was, that was a recession at that time. Uh, we both got jobs and mine was to, to get some money for our travels. And, and mine was working for Sydney Council cutting grass for Sydney council. And I saw these nappy laundry vans going around Australia and, and and we visited a a laundry service in New Zealand as well. So we got back to the UK and and decided to start a laundry service. And there were a few starting at that time, nappy laundry services. Um, It was never going to be a scalable business. It was never going to be that thing that uh, got a lot of people to convert to reusables, but what it did do over those five years that we ran the laundry service is gave us great, understanding of the products you were seeing the customers every single day as in a customer every single day you visit them once a week and and so you got a really good understanding about what was motivating them to do to use reusable nappies and what worked and what didn't work around the product so we did that for about four or five years and then ultimately we're getting more and more people asking us to to wash a home and the laundry service was, was very much a niche of a niche so the laundry service closed down and we started selling by direct to consumers by mail order then into retail, and then it sort of grew from that, and the rest, as they say, is history.
3: Interestingly, when you did come back from your travels, you set up the business with your wife, and like a lot of entrepreneurs, it was done so from your kitchen table. Can you maybe talk through a little bit more about the challenges that you faced in the early years from the dynamics of working with a spouse and also from having your first child in 1995 to where you are today as an 11 million revenue-generating firm with 13 million pounds of investment from BGF?
1: Yeah, so it's been... It's a long time so going back as you as you say, it's thirty years since we started the uh, the laundry service and and that business has grown from complete scratch operating from the sort of front room of our terraced house in northampton to to where it is today, as you can imagine, huge ups and downs, and I remember in those early days, still having real beliefs still having the same same passion that, that that we have now for for the product, for the category for what we're doing. It was a huge mountain to climb in terms of and and actually there were many times we thought, how are we going to get from where we are now in a really small niche market with very, very few people doing it to, to for it to be more widely, widely accepted and actually reaching where it should be reaching. So there's been huge challenges. But I think I think we have been entrepreneurial and what would be described as entrepreneurial in the business. And I and I always argue that with any sort of entrepreneurial venture. You're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have things that work that don't work because if you don't try things, nothing happens. And I think ultimately, if if more things work than don't work, you're going to be all right. So so there's been huge huge ups and downs during those years, and but you find ways to overcome it. And and I think to, to your other point on um, Joe and I working together, yeah, we obviously worked very closely. It was just the two of us when we first when we ver- first started. That has grown and, and subsequently in the last two, three years, Jo's actually taken sort of a backwards, back, backwards step from the business, and not involved day to day. But during those years, I think, I think it worked for a number of reasons. I think our interests were very different. So Jo has very much developed all the products and the products that she developed are still sort of at the core of what we do now. And her eye for marketing and, and the artistic, what you'd probably describe as more artistic side of the business, which she had huge strength in. I was more the, the the business side of it and, and and bringing it together on that side, so I think we complemented each other on in our skills. But I also think when you're working with your partner, in terms of um, you referred in earlier in the interview to being self-aware. I think I think the great thing about work, working with a partner is they will tell you as it is. They, they they won't hold back. And actually, at times when I may have may have got carried away, Joe was always there to. Um, to pull me back and point out maybe I'm I'm not as great as I think I am in certain certain things. So I think i mean, joking aside I think that that is a real strength to have to have somebody who's sitting aside, alongside you who you trust completely and is prepared to give you their views as it is completely with not sugar coated at all I think leads to a huge amount of strength and and probably in reflection of your earlier question means you do become self aware because you are hearing it quite a bit in the professional world i think certainly in those early days you talked about when we had our our eldest and subsequently had two other children as well the business was our life in the early days as you as you would expect and so sort of everything was interwoven. so we would do the i remember doing the deliveries for the nappy laundry service in the vans that in the van that we drove and um yeah our eldest who is now um, 26 um as a baby sitting sitting in a car seat next to us in the uh in, in, in which everyone is doing the delivery sitting next to us in the van and obviously our children being used in as models for the nappies and in the photography and in the advertising it was very much part of our lives i think when you get to a certain size there's always something that you're having to deal with and, and some crisis or some issue or you do need to make that and we did make that conscious decision to try and divide it between work and home in the early days it was It was very difficult. We didn't do that because home was our work. But once we started Bambina Mia, we moved the business out of home to to where we're based now. We've grown quite a lot since then, but uh, into an industrial unit. And then there was a divide. And then it it was important to have that separation. And as you say, we've gone on. And it's been, as with all these things with business, it's not straight like growth. There's been bumps along the way. But actually, the opportunities now are, are significant, I think, we certainly were ahead of the time ahead of our time in terms of talking about single-use plastics providing alternative reusable products all those things we did feel ahead of our time and now the world sort of caught up with us and it really is at the at the center of of the debates that everybody's having around how we deal with the challenges the world has has got I was lucky enough to get a cop back in November and I'd always viewed the nappy issue as being sort of its own little issues, sitting alongside environmental issues and sustainability sustainable issues. But actually I realised the issues that the nappies raise are at the heart and soul of, of all the debates that people are, are having. And and I mean just I sort of tend to quote a lot of stats, but I think there are some worth thinking about with, with nappies that, that 1% of all the world's plastic production goes into making single use nappies globally. We use 90 billion single use nappies every year. But reusing reusable nappies uses 98% fewer raw materials and generates 99% less waste. And globally, using resources as we do with disposables is responsible for 90% of biodiversity loss and 50% of carbon emissions. So, in terms of those issues, Nappies and using reusables is, is very much at the at the heart of it. If you look at what government is doing, single use plates, 1.1 billion are thrown away in the UK. Coffee cups, 2.5 billion, both of which are being addressed. Disposable nappies, 3.6 billion. So it's one of the biggest, biggest issues around single use. So it's it's very relevant when we talk about those challenges around waste, carbon emissions, and single use plastic all those issues. And then on the other side of it, which I think I, I, it was a real awareness at COP, there was a lot of talk about greenwashing. I think the world's moved on. I think if you, go, if you think back a few years where we were a lot of talk about climate change denial and people people sort of not acknowledging there were these problems, that was really easy to call out because you could see where people were. were. I think greenwashing is far more difficult and people being misled. And we unfortunately, we see that hugely in this industry. Where disposable companies think they can um, sort of say nice words about biodegradable and and compostable and recyclable, which don't words that don't really mean anything because they're all going to end up in landfill, and and don't don't deal with the challenges. But the disposable companies, with my cynical head on, can can charge a lot more money for pa- to parents who believe. Who, who, and it's not the parents. It's not the parents who who are doing something wrong here. That the the, the the they want to do what is best, so they're buying a product that they believe is is much much better. When in reality, it isn't really making much difference. And in some some reports would, that I read, that some of these so called biodegradable plastics are actually worse for the environment than, than than what you'd call traditional traditional plastic. So that's a really big issue. In in I think in the in the nappy sector, is is the greenwashing that goes on, which is why. I think NAP is in general, that debate, reusable versus disposable, and, and all the issues that are being raised is, is, means it, it is at the heart of sort of, and, and is a good representation of the challenges that we're facing.
2: When you're ready
0: to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online.
3: Yeah, I think it comes down to education, right? Because, um, the audience and your consumers, uh, I guess, like, nowadays, people are a lot more socially aware of what's taking place. Like, we, we saw what took place at COP and, you know, as uh, beyond the rhetoric, there hasn't been really that much, um, action taking place beyond that. We saw people postponing their, commitments to net zero, for example, and with Modi in India, I did another 10 years to his previous commitment. And then, yeah, the greenwashing thing's a massive thing. So when I was yeah. talking to Tom at Finister, yeah, like greenwashing was a, um, a, it's a huge issue within industry. And I think where we are now is people are becoming more socially aware of what the realities take place and, and some of the lies that have been told to them. And I guess it's up to businesses, not only to kind of activate Movement thinking within their businesses and in how they engage with their audience and educate their audience. It's also understanding the challenge that's that's ahead and and driving change in a, in a in a way that includes everybody in respect to the audience that they're tailored to and both inside and outside a company. So you know, messaging. I think that that's key like marketing in the old ways isn't going to take place and isn't going to be too beneficial for industries like yourself going forward it's 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 building communities it's building an audience and it's building awareness about some of the statistics that you just uh, mentioned to build more of a sustainable industry going forward and and that's amazing because if you kind of look at the opportunities that's ahead for for you specifically like the reusable nappy industry is expected to become a one billion market globally by twenty twenty five. So that's there's a huge opportunity here to see some real positive change. But you know, that brings me to my next question. Like, how far can you drive in your in your opinion, can you drive Bambio Mio?
1: I think there's as you say, there is massive opportunity. And I think I think we all forget the speed of change. One of the thing I, things I learned at COP talking to people who'd been to a number of COPs before was actually everybody was a bit downbeat on it. And is this really going to happen? But actually what, what, what the people I was talking to who'd been to many COPs said even talking about net zero three or four years ago just wouldn't have happened. So we are actually moving in the right direction. And I think for all businesses, it is about direction of travel. I think we all need to acknowledge, and, and Bambino Mio is no different. Just by running a business, producing product, existing, we're all having an environmental impact. And what we talk about a lot here is direction of travel and how we, how we can improve every year as we go along. We're, we're going through the process for B Corp at the moment, and our motivation for that, it will be really nice to get that and, and get the badge and, to, and tell the world that we have hit certain standards. But for us, it was about a framework on which we could judge ourselves and are we are we doing the best we possibly can against all the criteria, both social and environmental um, as a business, and then using that to keep improving and keep doing better in, in every single area of the business. And I mean, you touched on our our investment from BGF and we we were lucky enough, as you can can imagine, because of our profile to, to have quite a lot of interest from potential investors. but. The one thing that we considered, and we had the opportunity to work with investors who only dealt with businesses who were, who were at the heart of sustainability and the heart of impact, but actually what impressed us about BGF, and BGF have nearly 400 investments now, is actually their direction of travel and, and, and their philosophy of, of actually improving. So they have a, quite a diverse portfolio of, of companies that they invest in, but it's that general movement of trying, and, and some are all on different stages of this journey. And some of them you wouldn't necessarily think were, were on the chain. But actually, being part of a portfolio that, is, that has a desire to have an impact, to help companies improve in, in, in this area, was, was really exciting, apart from actually getting the investment, which was fantastic both for, our, for the future for us, but also to endorse what we'd done and, 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 and prove that we were doing the right thing being part of our portfolio that is that is trying to do so much in this area was really really important to us so that was really exciting so i suppose there's two areas and there's there's, there's two there's two things that we see in terms of opportunity one is the category and i've always been a a great supporter of the category as a whole. I set up our trade organisation about 20 years ago to to campaign, to talk to politicians, to make sure the nappy issue wasn't left behind. We talked with NGOs in the last 12 months. We've worked with lots of organisations, everything from the United Nations to um, zero waste Europe to governments across the world including Vanuatu who were the first government in the world to announce a ban on disposable nappies uh, where we've subsequently done quite a lot of work around as you mentioned education because th- that's what it's all about so actually there's a real opportunity and you can see that the category growing we always think about it we'll talk about it in terms of a lot of us know the areas where governments and um, especially the UK government have addressed certain issues so Plastic bags, coffee cups, single-use plates. They're really easy things because you can tax them or you can ban them. Uh, Nappies is more difficult, but you just get the sense in terms of everything that is going on, the conversations, where we sit, that the Nappies is the next big thing that we need to address because it's it's 8% of household waste. So from a, from a local government point of view, it needs to be addressed. It's 1% of single-use plastic. And at a time when everybody is seeing more expensive cost of living and household budgets are getting squeezed. It's money saving. And that's the great thing about reusable products. Parents can save up to one and a half thousand pounds during the baby's time in Napa's by using reusables. And as they use those for more babies, which you can do for more than one baby, you save even more. So I think that it's another element. We've talked a lot about environment, but actually cost and they're not only spending, spending much more money on, on disposable nappies, but we did some work with um, YouGov last year to, to, to show that babies are, we'd always anecdotally heard it, but babies are out of nappies a year, a year and a half sooner in reusables than disposables. And that's saving another billion nappies going, um, going to landfill.
3: Yeah, i think it's it 's just the education piece is 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 really important, but equally it 's businesses understanding what they why they exist like why they 're in business and and what they 're trying to to do in respect to their businesses and and yours is very clear in respect to the change that you try to drive and and the movement you try to create behind that. Because, yes, I remember reading a a quote by David Hyatt, who's the founder of the Do Lectures. And he said, whilst businesses go in search of margin, customers go in search of meaning. And we've had like the pandemic whereby people have had this opportunity to reflect upon their lives, how, how they live their lives and how they consume products. We're seeing people become a lot more responsible in the brands they align themselves to. And the shared beliefs and the shared goals and the shared aspirations that companies and brands hold to the individuals and the consumers. So, yeah, I think there is a change taking place, and it's evident within societies today. So that kind of draws me onto the last question that I wanted to ask: like, what are your thoughts for the future? Not just um, in respect to your company, but as society as a whole.
1: I think you're right. I think it is. I think it is changing. And and I mean to build on that quote that that you gave. I think I think businesses are. There are businesses that are looking at, looking for meaning because they feel they should do because that's what looks good, but I think there are businesses like ours which have meaning and purpose at the heart of what they do. They exist because they want to deliver something, and I think we, we've been lucky enough over the years to win a number of awards. And I've noticed in the last few years in in sort of attending these award ceremonies that more and more businesses that are being shortlisted for some some really good awards are actually purpose-driven businesses who really are delivering something that they truly believe in and met some amazing people who who are are running successful businesses, and it is well documented now that the stronger you are on the purpose and the reason why you're doing it the more successful you will be as a business which as we talk about here the more successful you can be the more resource you will then have to deliver your purpose and I think one of the special things for me at, um, at Bambino Mio, when we relook as we do as we do on a regular basis in terms of our mission and our purpose and what we do, is that that all those conversations and all those all those documents that we produce to actually uh, to actually quantify what what we're doing and why we're here and why we're doing it is coming from every member of member of staff, whether they be in whether they be in the warehouse, whether they be in product development, whether they be in in sales or finance. When, when you have a real focus and a sense of purpose that everybody can can understand that there's a real strong feeling that you're all moving in the same same direction working together to deliver that purpose i mean that's just just one part of it about why having a strong reason to exist as an organization will will, will make you successful because people who join you and choose to join you and want to work with you are also working together in, in that purpose and i think one of the reasons why we've been successful is because because we have a lot of people in this business who, who feel exactly the same and, 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 are, and are focused on delivering that to the best of their ability.
3: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not just for the sake of doing good, for the sake of doing good. It's, it's actually looking for the deeper meaning. And when you're able to identify a specific problem and you can translate that into clear messaging, it, it equates to a more engaged movement of people to follow what you believe in and what you're trying to achieve. And at the end of the day, that, that leads to change. And that's, that's what we're seeing throughout the world at the moment. So,
1: yeah. No. And, and, governments, and governments and NGOs can, can all sit in a room and talk about the changes we need to make, but somebody needs to deliver those changes and somebody who i've who i've been lucky enough to 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 hear hear here speak close up is paul polman the ex unilever ceo who talks about it being the biggest investment opportunity the world's ever seen in terms of addressing these issues and he's right and if, if businesses align with it we can we can not just deliver it but but make sure that it that it strengthens day by day so i think i think we have every reason to be um, to be optimistic about them
3: Yeah, like I'm totally optimistic for the future because I see what's coming and I see the change that um, society is going to evolve into because of what the people's desires are for change. And if you kind of look at over the course of the last 20 or so months, we've had what was what many call a crisis of leadership. And, you know, I saw Davos just the other day talking about um, trust and the ability to rebuild trust in society as being one of the central points. And for me, now is the time for, like, CEOs and founders to take, take the baton and, and kind of drive change forward because, um, you know, it's, people, aren't, people don't want to wait. People want to see change via action, not just words. And the work that you guys are doing and, and the action that you've taken place and, and the amazing, um, like, growth and development you've had over the course of the years is, is to be admired. So, um, yeah, no, it's thank been you. an absolute pleasure speaking to you. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks very much.
2: Thank you for listening to the Purpose Made podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to Purpose Made wherever you normally get your podcasts to hear the latest news and views. You can also find and follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter or contact Peter directly to connect, inquire about Purpose Made or request to be featured on the podcast. We look forward to welcoming you back soon for another episode.